It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm, here with good news and even better news. The good news? State Farm has new lower car insurance rates. The even better news? That means you can now get the service and convenience of a local State Farm agent at surprisingly great rates. State Farm can help you save more cash and get the good neighbor service you deserve. Just talk to your local State Farm agent or visit statefarm.com to find out how much you can save on your car insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You're Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. I wanted to do something a little bit different with this episode. It was a concept I came up with a while ago and was kind of waiting not only for more information, but to kind of clear up my own thoughts on the issue. And so what I wanted to do was rank the Warriors' potential Western Conference playoff opponents. I'm not including the East, partially because I want to get a firmer grasp on exactly what's going on in Cleveland right now, and partially just because there are so many East teams and only one of them, even if the Warriors make the finals, will we'll make it there. So I didn't want to go nuts on that part of it yet. But what this podcast is, is it's ranking the potential Western Conference playoff teams in terms of desirability for facing the Warriors. And as you would guess, there are some logistical challenges with this just in terms of health and other things like that. There are mitigating factors and extenuating circumstances and everything else. But I still wanted to do it. I thought it was a fun exercise. And I'm going to go from most favorable to least favorable. I thought that would be interesting. Both both ways have plenty of intrigue. And the way I'm doing it is any team that I feel has a realistic chance of making the playoffs. Because once you're in, you never know how it's going to shake out and everything like that. So... For me, the number one most desirable team is not one that a lot of people would expect considering they're not going to get the eight seed. They're probably not even going to get the seven seed, but that's the Oklahoma City Thunder. And the Thunder are a fabulous story. I still have Russell Westbrook as my personal MVP at this point, though I reserve the right to change it because it's so close that I'm still figuring everything out. But the reason for the Thunder, there are a couple of big ones. One is they have shown a lot of trouble scoring against the Warriors. And unlike some other teams, there are structural issues there in terms of shooting, in terms of personnel that are not going to get better this year. The Thunder have also played pretty poorly. They've gotten worked by the Warriors every time they played this year. That's not a big factor for me because there's so much more other data we can look at. And then the last piece that's important is one that gets a little bit lost in the shuffle, and it's the idea of banked wins. So the Thunder are an, are a definite playoff team and have accomplished that, but a lot of what they did is, is based on their success early in the season. And while success early in the season, success late in the season, it all matters, I am intrigued by the fact that the Thunder are tied for the worst net rating. So net rating is, you know, your points versus your opponent's points per 100 possessions. So it scales on pace and things like that. They have tied with the Bulls for the lowest net rating of any potential playoff team since January 1st. So I always consider the first month or so of the season really a calibration time. So while the Thunder had as big an adjustment as anybody, arguably a bigger adjustment than almost everybody, those wins to me get discounted a little bit for anybody, for whether it's, you know, the Warriors going on that crazy start or last year or whatever, you know, because 
there are continuity issues and everything else like that. And so when you go by July 1st, or sorry, January 1st, it provides a decent calibrator. It's not definitive. It's not saying those wins don't count or anything silly like that. I just, it's a personal thing that I look at. And the Thunder have been outscored by 1.4 points per 100 possessions in, in that time. And that's not great. By that same measure, another team we're going to talk about later that a lot of people probably have higher on this list is doing a lot better. And so that's it's interesting. It's not definitive, as I said, but it's interesting. So I have the Thunder as the most desirable team. Second is a team that probably isn't going to make the playoffs, but very well might, and that's the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets are kind of an interesting combination because they fuse elements of the teams that are ahead of them on this list and teams that are behind them. So what they have that makes me a little bit reluctant to, to you know, that maybe to put them as a, as a less favorable opponent is that they have a very explosive offense. I mean, with Nikola Jokic, since they made that change, they've been one of the better offensive teams in the league. And that is worth noting. They've also, you know, they've beaten the Warriors. They have a lot of talent. But there are two big reasons why I, I lean against that. One is since they switched Jokic to center, they they haven't been able to defend anybody. And against the Warriors, you're not going to be able to to beat them in that kind of a shootout, probably four out of seven games, especially when the Warriors have a significant talent advantage on the defensive end, whether that leads to results or not is an open question. But so you have that element. And also, while a few of their players, Wilson Chandler, Danilo Gallinari, Jameer Nelson, have all played in the playoffs, a lot of their key pieces have not. And that has two effects. One is it generally, you know, that there's an adjustment period to that. The Warriors can speak to that, even though they won their first playoff series. These guys, most of them, incidentally, against the Nuggets. But also, it can often affect officiating. My my friend Archer Goletti, who I do the over-under podcast with and then sometimes do playoff previews, that's something that he actually models because he thinks that it has statistical relevance. And so I think that does affect the Nuggets more than a lot of these other teams just because they haven't gotten into it before and the Warriors would get calls on them and I think it could work out well. And the other reason why they're more desirable than some of the other teams is because I don't think that there there really is much of a bruising team. I mean, Jokic is an unbelievable player, but some of the logic in these lower end teams is kind of where it's not as much about risk of losing as much as it is the likelihood of coming out worse for wear. And so that's why the Memphis Grizzlies in particular are probably going to be less desirable on this list than some people would have it just because of the potential series outcome, but because of that logic. So I think Denver is kind of a good encapsulation of kind of the the Oklahoma City part of it of, you know, being feisty, but maybe not having a likelihood of winning, but then also the element of probably not putting that much wear on the tires. So that's why they get second on the list. Third on the list is really challenging, and I probably would have had this the other way, except for Yusuf Nurkic's injury. So third on the list is the Portland Trailblazers. The Blazers are less desirable than the Nuggets because they have really high-end offensive talent, guys that, while the Warriors have beaten them in the playoffs, have a lot of talent. I mean, Dame, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and their other kind of offensive pieces, Allen Crabb. And they also have perimeter defenders, not on the guards, but I think Moharkless could have a nice series, depending on how they use Al Farouk Aminu, that could be interesting. And they've been great since they got Yusuf Nurkic, and that's why they switched, is because Nurkic having that um, non-displaced fracture in his leg means that they, they're going to reevaluate him basically right as the playoffs start, and that typically with an injury like that, especially with a big dude, means that if he's even back at some point in that series, they'll probably be more limited. So if you were to tell me that Nurkic would start the series at 100%, 
I would actually move them one spot down in the desirability. I'd move them to fourth behind the next team. But without that knowledge, especially if the Warriors can bank wins, they were probably going to get anyway at Oracle, but then secure those and then maybe even one or two more in the beginning games in Portland, that would be a really big help. And especially that matters because Portland at this point with Ed Davis already out for the year, they don't have a lot of depth at center. So they can't really go in a lot of different directions. They actually used Al Farouk Aminu as their backup five in their game, which they lost today to the Minnesota Timberwolves. So I fully expect them at this point to get that last playoff spot. But I'm not completely sure like I was before, because when you start starting to seed games against the Wolves, who are feisty, but still out of it at this point, and presumably Denver is going to keep pushing. So we'll see where that is. I believe that Portland has a little bit of a harder schedule for the next like week and then an easier push at the end. So that'll be worth watching moving forward. And then the team that shifted because of Nurkic's injury is a team that's dealing with their own center injury right now, which is the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are a, a perilous combination for the Warriors in terms of getting out of the series fine, not in terms of winning or losing. Memphis is a very good team, capable of beating the Warriors, capable of pushing them to six or seven games, but they need everyone healthy. But what makes Memphis such an undesirable team, and beyond the fact that they've played really well against the Warriors this year and broadly for a little while now, especially before that playoff series in 2015, is that they have high-end talent in Marcus and Mike Conley, two guys that can just really affect an opposing team. And when they're on, they're very hard to deny. But also, they're deep, and I, I think they're well-coached. They're not amazingly coached, but I think they're well-coached. I think Fizdale's done a nice job there. They also have wing depth, which is useful against the Warriors. I mean, they're, none of their guys are, are world beaters. Tony Allen is an amazing defensive player, but Warriors fans will be very aware of his offensive limitations. Again, going back to that 2015 playoff series. And Zach Randolph just wreaks havoc on the Warriors' bigs, and they're going to have to figure out how they want to run the rotation if they want to go in that direction. Again, I don't expect that series to happen now that it looks like the Warriors are going to get the one seed, and I think that's a very fortunate thing for them in some ways. But it's going to be interesting moving forward to see if the Warriors can kind of handle teams like that. And there's a team like that, arguably, in some ways, that is going to be later on the list. And then the next one is the LA Clippers. The Clippers still have the kind of backstop of a phenomenal starting five. Chris Paul, J.J. Redick, Luke Richard and Bob Mute most of the time. Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, you know, those guys overall cause a problem. They're not as great against the Warriors, but they have a lot of talent. They've battled in the playoffs before. They've won series against great teams before. They beat that Spurs squad in a really nice series years ago and they, you know, they they beat the Warriors way way back in 2014. So, I don't think that the Clippers the Clippers are kind of like the last of the teams that it's, you know, that if if the Warriors see them coming, I don't think they're that scared. The other benefit of facing the Clippers is that they do not have that much of a home court advantage against the Warriors. Their fans get really tight sometimes if they if they get concerned. They can get really loud and effusive if if things are going their way, but I think back to that series where they blew it against the Houston Rockets years ago. I think that was in 2015. Yeah, it was after they beat the Spurs. And their fans just like once they kind of saw the rubber meeting the road, they just lost it. And when a team is facing the Warriors, that's actually a really bad thing because you need to keep up that energy because the Warriors are inevitably going to go on a push. So 
it's a small thing, but something that I think matters. But the more important part is that their talent just doesn't mesh up as well against the Warriors as it used to. And Durant's presence, assuming that he would be back by that series in something close to his normal form, ends up mattering a lot too because he probably requires Luke Richard and Bob Mute being on the floor. And Bob Mute creates other challenges because the Warriors don't respect his shooting. It would be very, it would be very similar to the way they handled Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu in last year's playoffs where they just kind of let him be. And while Luke can make some of those shots, he's not going to make them all the time. And then that constrains so many other things that the Clippers do. Also, Durant's presence defensively could be a real big help in that series because if they put him on Luke, then you can use him defensively as a help guy, do a lot of other things. So I think that matchup could do really well. So now we're left with the kind of the three least desirable, which happen to be the teams that I think are the three best in the West at full strength. And I've bounced around legitimately on all three of these teams. I, I, I think that they're different in terms of facing the Warriors than just overall their quality. But I'm going to go with the Jazz next. I am a firm believer in the Jazz. I have argued before that at full strength, the Jazz might be the single greatest threat in the Western Conference to the Warriors, and I stand by that. The issue is that we haven't seen them at full strength basically the whole year. Derek Favors has been out. Rodney Hood has been out. Basically everybody on their team has been out at various moments. And so they haven't built that cohesiveness. They haven't built that togetherness of just approach of comfortability to make that all work. And while they are an incredibly deep team, which is great, they need to be full strength to kind of really maximize that. Favors is is a linchpin for them in terms of the Warriors because they could theoretically play him at power forward and then at backup center and he would create problems for Golden State on both of those ends. The other part that Utah hasn't proven yet, though they played the Warriors hard a lot over the years, is how they can handle a lineup with Draymond Green at center. Rudy Gobert is incredible. He is a serious defensive player of the year candidate. I would say that if Draymond doesn't win it, Rudy Gobert is going to be the one who who takes that crown and will deserve it. I think both of them deserve it. I would probably put Draymond number one in that, but it's an interesting question in terms of what kind of defense you value. Gobert is that more that old school traditional center, you know, block everything, not block effect, get defensive rebounds, everything at the rim, whereas Draymond's versatility is a good part of his argument. And it would be a great test of which of those approaches can work against the other because Rudy, if they go to that, Gobert is going to just get a ton of offensive rebounds. They can go in a lot of different directions. But if they have stretched it out and they can't keep Gobert on the floor because they have to play him out from the rim because the Warriors are playing five guys who can shoot, then it gets a little bit different. And so that uncertainty puts them third, you know, third least likely as least favorable as opposed to being second or first. And I could argue, you know, we could be sitting here a week or two into the playoffs and I could, you could easily have them number one. It's just that right now, knowing what we know, I don't put them there. So then now there are just two teams left, the Rockets and the Spurs. And the Warriors have played both of them recently. They've, of course, have experience against both of them in various capacities over the years. Of course, a lot more with the Rockets. And that's actually part of the reason why I put the Rockets number two is because while Houston's offensive capability is a great value and makes them scary against everybody, including the Spurs, which would be a fascinating series that I think we're pretty reasonably likely to get now, the Warriors, because of two playoff series and because of their specific personnel, have done a better job against James Harden than any team I can think of. And the Rockets' offense is built around James Harden. They have other players who can distribute. They have other, they have a ton of guys who can shoot and space the floor. But it all really runs through him. 
Beverly is a talented guy or Gordon's a talented guy, but they can't run the show. And so if a team can stymie Harden, then they have a decent shot. And the Warriors have done that. They have really good personnel for it. Iguodala does a nice job on him. Kevin Durant does a good job on him. The help defense does a good job on him. And the Rockets have good defenders, but I think that it doesn't piece together great against the team that has so many different offensive threats. I think of the Rockets very similar in that way to Cleveland, where they can do a better job of taking away what an opponent does well. I think D'Antoni could do a nice job of that in the playoffs. Might actually be a problem for the Spurs for that exact reason. But the Warriors have quality offensive players at just about every position. So that means there isn't a place to hide Harden. If you want to put him on Clay Thompson, Thompson will just run him through screens and get a ton of open shots. And everybody knows that if Thompson is open, he's going to shoot and he's probably going to make a lot of those unless he's off. So that's a specific weakness that Houston has against the Warriors that isn't as relevant against everybody else except if they made the NBA Finals against the Cavs, which would be an absolutely amazing series. I I really don't know how that would turn out. But the other part of why this is is challenging is that, by and large, the the thing the Warriors have struggled with the most against the Rockets has been their pick-and-roll defense from their big men against Houston. And I think that, especially since that series as of right now would be a conference finals, that would be a time that they would switch to be playing more of green at center, more of kind of these smaller lineups where those issues don't rear their heads as much because you can switch it and you, you don't have to handle it with Pachulia out there. And it, it'll, if that series happens, it'll be a big test for Steve Kerr to see whether he can change up his approaches, change up his matchups to fit the situation that is at hand. And we haven't seen a ton of that early in series. We've seen it late. We've seen those big adjustments. Of course, in 2015, it was putting Bogut on Tony Allen and then the Nicky Ren special of putting Iguodala back in the starting lineup and going with going with the death lineup to start games. But we didn't see as much of that in the 2016 playoffs. Some of that could be that they didn't really, that Curry's injury totally changed their flexibility. You know, that those first and second round series, the first one against the Rockets, where they, they weren't really threatened, they lost game four, but they weren't going to lose that series. And then against Portland, things got all discombobulated. And then Oklahoma City, they did change things up, but it was a different kind of thing. And then with Cleveland, they were ahead, and then it, it, they, they did switch up the lineups a little bit. But it'd be interesting to see how he handled the beginning of that, because Pachulia would have some specific trouble with it and whether he would identify that and be willing to go away from it immediately as opposed to waiting a couple games. And then that ties in with the last team, which I've said for a while now, I don't think matches up particularly well against the Warriors, but the San Antonio Spurs are still an awfully good team. They're amazing defensively, despite having imperfect personnel. And I think that they could cause problems for the Warriors in that way. I don't think that they can score reliably enough to make it, uh, you know, to make it a, a dominant series. Like I don't think they would win it, assuming full health for both sides. I don't think they would by ever really realistically beat the Warriors in five games. But I could certainly see them out executing and just fighting through a game or two at a Oracle, and you know, like splitting the first couple, winning both their two at home, and then just picking one of the other ones off. I could totally see that that series coming to fruition. They have a lot of talented guys. Again, like Houston, it would be a big test for the coaching staff to see where they would pick their spots, where they would use different lineups. And this also, like going through this exercise, was also a good example of why something I talked about, I think this was on Dunked On, about with both Cleveland and with the Warriors, and that both teams, I would say overall, especially because the Warriors didn't have to face the Spurs last year, I would say that both conferences, the teams below those NBA finalists last year, 
are better than before, but I'm not sure how much better they are against the Warriors specifically because the way their personnel shakes out, they have kind of specific weaknesses that could that could be a problem with the Spurs. It's that they don't have that many guys that create, can create seams in the defense. They have players like Tony Parker that they're going to need to have to hide. Very similar to the issue I talked about with James Harden, thinking about where Tony Parker is going to be in key minutes against the Warriors. And Popovich, as, as excellent as he is, he's the best coach in the league, has not shown that much of a willingness to be proactive in terms of changing things that don't work. He has at moments gone away from things at that point, but he hasn't really kind of seen it ahead of time and then done it. And also his penchant for getting frustrated with guys and dealing with it. I I will think about him pulling Kawhi from game seven of that Clippers series in 2015. I'll think about that for a long, long time. He's an amazing coach, but that was an, that was an incredible decision at the time and something that does really stick with me because coaches can't do that. And Kawhi, he blew a switch or something like that, and then he's sitting out, and that was part of what let the Clippers get back in the game. So going through the exercise, of course, Warriors fans know better than almost anybody the uncertainty that can come in the playoffs, especially with a talented team. But it did make me feel a little bit differently about the road to theoretically the NBA Finals because there are a lot of good teams. I mean, I think those top three, the Jazz, the Rockets, and and the Spurs would all be really, really tough series. And who knows, the Warriors very well could face two of those three. And if the Blazers get Nurkic back, you could argue that they could, you know, that in that case, they could be getting three of the top four least desirable teams in the West in their kind of in their thing. And the one they won't get is whoever wins the Spurs Rocket series or whoever doesn't win that series. So that is a challenge, but I don't think those teams are as threatening as I had expected earlier in the season. The Spurs, just their offensive viability is different than I thought, and just the specific strengths and weaknesses of their players changes things. They have amazing perimeter defenders in Danny Green and Kawhi, but outside of that, it gets a little bit dicey. They haven't trusted Jonathan Simmons, who was awesome against the Warriors on opening night, and they're still relying heavily on Tony Parker. They have an interesting backup rotation now, which is certainly good in the regular season, but as teams like the Warriors ratchet up their best guys' minutes, I think they'll lose they lose that advantage, which is something we noticed against Oklahoma City. They've also shown an issue for being kind of being out not outworked, but being outplayed by more athletic teams. That's part of the reason they've been snake bit by the Thunder a couple times. And while the Thunder do not exist in that form anymore, you could make a very reasonable argument that the Warriors are the closest analogy to that presently. So that's kind of where I sit right now. I totally reserve the right to change that based on what happens over the next about week. The regular season ends in eight days. It's the Wednesday, so most of you will be listening to this on Tuesday. So it's going to be fun to see where this goes and what happens from here. But that is enough for now. You can send me any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com, at DanielRue on Twitter. I appreciate it. And I, I, if you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I probably will not take the time to respond right now. I'm actually, I, many of you know I'm excited I talked about the book. I'm actually editing it, doing a first edit right now. So I have very little time. I'm also up here in Portland for the Nike Hoop Summit, which is a lot of fun. But you can write it. I will read it. I appreciate it. But don't expect a response back at this point. If you want to support the show, leave a rating, leave a review. Also, tell other people. It's a great thing you can do to support the show. And then subscribe, download every episode as 
strange as it may sound to some of you, it is very, very important in terms of building the show. So that's enough for now. I do not know my specific timing for the next couple days. It's going to really just depend on availability for when I talk about Warriors Wolves and then Warriors Suns because due to the, being at the Hoop Summit, when I watch the games, it might shift around. But I'm hoping to have it ready for most of your morning commutes each of those days. I'm, I'm not going to promise it right now, but that is my hope and my expectation. And then I probably will not have an episode on Thursday night, Friday morning, and instead we'll have one after the Pelicans game, which might be, you know, per, per reporting right now, might be the Kevin Durant return game. So maybe I'll do something. I'll probably, since they're going to make, they're theoretically going to make that an announcement, maybe I'll do something on that, but we'll see. So that's enough rambling for right now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. San Jose Sharks hockey is back, and we've got you covered five days a week at Locked On Sharks. I'm Kyle Demetrius. I'm J.D. Young. I'm Eric Fowle. Together we make sure you're never without your Sharks programming. Will the Sharks make a trade for a right winger? We got you covered. Will Eric Carlson's groin hold up for the entire season? We've got you covered. Whatever happens with Team Teal every day, we've got you covered at Locked On Sharks five days a week on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.